so guy nick mason sourceful of secrets of which we are um two-fifths right are we're going back out on the road in the summer across the uk we are we're, it's all of june so brace yourself what's it called it's called the set the control store what a brilliant name who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason's all sort of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hello, I'm Guy Pratt. And I'm Gary Kemp. And we're getting ready for the next Rock on Tours Live. Join us at the iconic Battersea Power Station in London for a special screening of Quadrophenia, greatest youth cult movie ever made, followed by a recording of the podcast where our guests will be director Frank Rodham and the star. Phil Daniels. Yep, it's happening on February the 22nd. Tickets are now on sale. Go to thecinemainthepowerstation.com. A celebration of British classic Quadrophenia. See you then. Hello, Gary. Hello, guys. So you've been working with one of the world's greatest drummers. I ha- it's, you know, it's, this is the good thing, right, about being a musician rather than an artiste, is that rather than just going back and revisiting stuff all the time, for me, there's always a new box to tick. There's all, because for me, I'm not done till I've played with everyone that I want to play with. You know, that's the good thing about being a sideman. And yes, yesterday, finally, it was uh, I got to play with Manu Kache, one of yeah. the great drummers and band leaders. Um, yeah, yeah, of all, uh, yeah. In and it was in Paris as well. I first met Manu uh, years ago because he used to have his own TV show, like a Jules Holland later type thing. Oh, did he in France? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it ran France. for four seasons. It was very cool and. Um, He's written a great book about basically about being a drummer and, and the musician's place in society. And, and I, I believe think, there's there's another great. Sorry, c- carry on with that. I was going to say, I think we should get him on. Oh, we should. But you, you're going to be playing with another great drummer as well, aren't you? I am. I don't know if I can say that though. Okay, I know. So uh, look, look, watch this space. I mean, like a great drummer, yeah. an incredible drummer, guy. Guy, what's happened? The drummers are like buses. That's right. You wait all day for one. <laughs> and I've got a TV show coming out. I don't know whether that's been out. You, oh you, went, my you God. came to see I've it. I invited a, you. I've got to tell you about this, right? Because um, as I'm sure most of you must have seen the Kemp's All True BBC special last year, which obviously still, I guess is still on iPlayer, which yeah. was so fantastically funny, so brilliant. And they've done a follow-up called All Gold. I went to the screening the other night and it is absolutely hilarious. And it's and it's going to be on BBC iPlayer from December the 29th. And you've got to see it. And what's so brilliant is knowing Gary for as long as I have, just knowing that the bloke I used to know would not have been in this in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. I have to say, my brother. it's great working with my brother. I've really enjoyed it, but especially working with Rhys Thomas, who, who writes and directs the show. How did we just, you know, because celebrity is funny, isn't it? It's, it is it's funny. ridiculous. And, it's, and also, I love the fact that it actually features another very big um, star who we've had on Rock on Tours. Yeah, Francis Rossi. 
Yeah, he's great in it. I was going to leave that as a surprise, but well, it's, I think it's out yeah, there now. Man. I think it's out there. I think it's out there. Um, so, who have we got on today? I, I absolutely adored uh, Claire and Altered Images and that whole gang. Um, I found them very inspirational going up to Glasgow in 1981, I suppose, when I first met them and got to call them friends. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that. Well, yeah, I'm wondering on. if I'm just going to be Gooseberry. Uh, and, and this is, Gary, I'm sorry, let's say this is a sort of friendship, an infatuation, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, which did lead to, uh, you know, your, one of your your probably greatest sort of gifts <clears throat> to the culture. Well, and I, so I just don't know if it's going to be awkward, if I'm going to be the Gooseberry, if I, you know, God knows. I think we're, I think we're all going to find it awkward, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they... There was a great inspiration in uh, for me writing the True album from those guys, and uh, which I've spoke about before. And uh, uh, you know, um, Claire and I are still are still friends, and, uh, and uh, but we don't see each other that often. So try not to embarrass us too much. No, you're being very hesitant. <laughs> you're being very until there's still some awkwardness here. God, there's a bit of a bum clench going on. <laughs> but I'm hoping also that uh, our dear mutual friend David Band, the artist who Absolutely. is no longer with us, might also come up in this episode. Yeah. Um, Alton Image is an extraordinary band, actually. Super, super trendy band that grew out of the post-punk era and uh, and were embraced by, by John Peel, weren't they? Um, all of which will be revealed. That's right. I mean, yeah, but and where they come from. Very credible place that they come from to begin with. So uh, let's get her on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much fun. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at yeah. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Hi there, let me just switch myself on. Ah. Uh, Hello, oh. Guy. Hi, Guy. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Something's happened to my um, Zoom. <laughs> Hang on one second. Oh, my God, what's going on with my Zoom? It's so annoying, isn't it? Zoom. <laughs> Here we are on it together. Exactly. Because <laughs> you, you've got that funny thing, Claire, where you, you're sort of looking off to one side. Okay, but so we're... <laughs> no, 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 it's nothing. I'm no, looking we're all at doing you. It. <laughs> no, it's always, yeah, no, it's funny. I tend to look down a little bit when I've seen my videos back because my camera's up there, but you're here, down, below me. No, Gary, it's because you just look down on everyone. That's I do, just your I do. default <laughs> setting. Uh, Have you been, Claire? Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, life is... <laughs> But you up know, and down, up and down, a bit up and down. But you know, I always find some great fun in amongst all that up and downness. <laughs> yeah, have you have you got sort of Christmas shows? Do you know I've got one show left? I've actually having the quietest December I've had in quite a few years. So I've got one show um, next week in Edinburgh, and that's it. Yeah, Is that so that's quite own? nice. Yeah, it, yeah, it's an altered images show. So yeah, it is actually a big charity event, a big children's charity event that I'm doing. Yeah. 
So who's in altered images now? Who's... Well, I have a I have a pool of about ten um, musicians, and um, I rotate them, and they're all amazing. They really, really are. And I've just gotten to know them through over the years. I've been using sort of the same group of people now for a very, very long time, about fifteen years, and. Yeah, they're all great. They're all in other bands and they all do really well doing other things. And so I guess during the pandemic, what happened was someone would always be, or post-pandemic, you know that period where there was always someone in the band that had COVID? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. At the back of the bus or, or yeah. left yeah. trapped so, in the hotel room. So basically I had to get sort of clever about just getting people to come in. And I, I mean, everyone's been... Great, they're really lovely. And um, Gillian uh, Bickerstaff has been my guitarist for a very, very long time now. And I guess when I wanted to slightly reinvent altered images, it became quite important to me to have some women around me, you know, because I think back in the early days, that's something that I probably suffered a little bit as a result, just not having. Funny you say that because I just watched an interview with you from 1987 and you were talking about how you were going solo and the main reason for that was because you had you had no girls in altered images. Yeah. And no one to talk about, get, be girly with. <laughs> I don't know. No one to talk about the boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and it was, you know, because I'm sure you guys are really know what it was like back in those sort of early days you didn't have the luxury of travelling with some kind of entourage, I guess you, unless you were in Spandau Valley, I might add. But, um, <laughs> you know, for me, it was just me and, you know, the boys. And it was, you know, it was it was fine, but it became very lonely. It just yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole team around you, the manager, yeah. the, yeah. you know, the tour, the, uh -huh. the, the road, road crew, it's all blokes. It's so blokish as well, isn't it? Yeah. So it, was Steve not with you at that time? Um, he, he did. He, he joined the band in the sort of for Bite, which was our third album, our third and final that phase of Altered Images album. And yeah, and he made a big difference to me. I mean, he really did. He made me, in some ways, he made me see how how I was kind of struggling a bit with it all. <laughs> and um, he kind of did me a favour. He really did. But it, but you married him. <laughs> I was going to say it's one thing. It's like it's like I didn't I didn't have any girls to talk to, but I had a husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, jump. I mean, honestly, I'm not just saying this. The first song that um, I wrote with Stephen and Johnny McElhone was "Don't Talk to Me About Love," and if anyone had ever said to me, "You end up being married to Stephen at that time," I'd be like, "What?" You know, yeah. I mean, it just seemed unbelievable. And is he is he is he in the new band as well? Does he play with you on stage? Because he produces, no, obviously, and makes all the music with you. Stephen no, Roney, we're talking about. I mean, Stephen um, doesn't. He's 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 at the back. He sometimes comes to the shows, and I see him up the back going, <sighs> shaking his head. <laughs> oh dear. It does make me laugh. It really does because I mean, like all a lot of musicians, dare I say, and producer musicians, he's quite the control freak at times. But I co-wrote the last album with him, Scarra Streets. I did it with mostly with Stephen, and um, with Bernard Butler and Robert Hodgins, Bobby Bluebell. 
Yeah, oh. we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that. We'll get yeah. on to that. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, cause I used to work with Steve a fair bit because it's through, um, uh, it was because of through Jed Lynch. Yes. My dear friend, Lovely. the drummer, yes. yeah. yeah. He introduced me to him, yeah. Because yeah. I bumped Jed. into Stephen um, uh, a few months ago, walking through <laughs> Soho, as I do. <laughs> the boulevardier that I am, of course, but know, it's not near where I live. Flanner, <laughs> Flanner, and uh, and I saw Stephen in a, in a in a little restaurant, and I've forgotten the name of the restaurant. I saw him in there. I popped in, started talking to him, thinking he was having lunch. It turns out it's his restaurant. Well, it's your restaurant. Yes. Do you want to plug yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we have three restaurants. Um, it's most. Oh my god! Yeah, Stephen's thing. So we had. Bar Esteban, which is in Crouch End, which is our neighbourhood. We have Escocesa, which is in Stoke Newington. And we've now got Moresco in Soho. Yeah, and there are people, you know, it's um, it's it's been an extraordinary turn of events. You know, it's like my life constantly surprises me. And I never expected to be part of the restaurant. I'm mean, actually, my sole kind of involvement really is drinking the cocktails <laughs> <laughs> well it's yeah but you know it's like we spend our lives contributing to the nighttime economy in some way don't we that's yeah. what we we in the arts do well, I just get to what, what, what's what's the vibe with these restaurants what's the cuisine <clears throat> well it's um it's uh, scottish produce mostly scottish produce cooked in the spanish style and um there is a period where spanish Spanish. <laughs> Spanish. <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> so we um What's so it'll be like urn brew but done <laughs> Oh god Actually, like that. Stephen um Stephen wrote read this article a long time ago and um, Stephen had a period of being really unwell and couldn't eat. So I think he really started fantasizing a lot about food. I think he'd always wanted to be, he's always kind of talked about opening somewhere because I think that's part of his control freak thing. It's like <laughs> he now wants to go to a restaurant that caters just for him. Is he the other? Is he the other side of the room, nodding his head or shaking his head rather? <laughs> no, he's disappeared. He's disappeared. Giving you notes. <laughs> <laughs> you can see this there. Can't see that. But anyway, he, he read this article in The Guardian about how the best Scottish produce quite often went to Spain. You know, to all these amazing restaurants, all these Michelin star restaurants, got all their seafood from Scotland. So I think it sparked a really great idea in his head. And once he got better and decided that he didn't want to be in studios for 12 hours a day, he went, I'm going to open a restaurant. And we were like, really? And he went, yep, we're going to open a restaurant, Claire. And I'm like, okay. So we did. And that was our first one, Bar Esteban. And people love it. Claire, let's talk about you. Yeah. And obviously, yes. you know, going back to, to your, you know, your beginnings and what first turned you on about music. And, and are there sort of some key memories of, of, of records and bands that turned you on? I mean, very much so. I mean, the thing is, when I went at the time, I didn't view myself as being very different to a lot of the people I was hanging out with because there was, you know, there was just like a, a tribe of us in Glasgow that just loved a certain type of music. And for me, it sort of started, probably started with, in many ways, polystyrene, the modettes, the slits, 
And then I discovered Susie, I mean, Debbie Harry as well. But when I discovered Susie and the Banshees, I just, they spoke to me in a way that no other band had. I went, these are my people. Mm. And so I always say, so there was nothing before punk then? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, okay. So the first band I ever went to see was the Bay City Rollers. Come on! (laughs) (laughs) And I was a massive David Essex fan. Come on! (laughs) Obviously, everybody loved Bowie and Roxy Music. You know, I mean, I had two big sisters. Were you too young for David Cassidy? Sorry, I'm I'm just going through my sister's life. Yeah, Yeah, well, the thing is, it was either you were either in the Donny camp or the David camp, Uh, and I was very much in the David Cassidy camp. No offence, Donny. Correct answer. (laughs) Great songs, really. Great songs. Yeah. I wanted my hair like David Cassidy, I have to say. That was like one 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 of the sort of... That feathered haircut that he had. Yeah, mm. I had it. I had it too. I had it yeah. too. Now I don't have... So it's not about us. It's not about us. Yeah. <laughs> it's always about you too. Like... <laughs> but, I mean, I, I wanted that very cut though. You know, like I remember dyeing my hair red and, you know, getting it absolutely cropped off. And... Wow. What did, what did Pat and Pat think? Uh, I your mum and, and dad. dad. Yeah, they were such good sports guys. I didn't recognise it necessarily at the time, mm. but I was a challenge. I really was a challenge, you know. I was this odd little girl who was absolutely obsessed with music and wanting to be part of it, even although I had no idea how I was going to achieve that. And then just things fell into place. But my mum and dad, you know, years later I did say to them, why did you allow, because you, you knew my mum and dad to a certain extent, and they were strict. They weren't like some easy, ozy parents who were like bohemian 70s no, types. No, they no, were no. Irish, Catholic, strict. And my mum said to me, she said, we knew if we tried to stop you, it would have made things so much worse. And oh. I just love the fact. And she said, and also, we trusted you. And I think, what a gift they gave me. You know, I don't know why they trusted me. But you gave them them the gift back in the end, didn't you? You Uh, Yeah, because I felt like I couldn't let them down. You know, I thought I have to behave myself because I'll spoil it for myself. Mm. You know, I sometimes joke about it, but every time I left the house, my mum would literally say to me, the Virgin Mary is watching you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, do you, do you so, still carry that with? Do you still you know, carry that with you? That's I, like that's like yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. the thing is, I I say this quite a lot now. What I recognise in myself is I always know when to leave the party. <laughs> you know, and mm. I think that's kept me quite safe in life. I've already, I've always known my boundaries. So I, I wish I'd known that. And of course, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you you had you had sort of Bowie and Debbie Harry on your wall, but your mum had the Pope on her wall, didn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, she's a killing joke. <laughs> no, no, yes. I'm joking. Sorry. Actually, but do you know what? I did. My mum and dad did have really great taste in music, though. So I mean, I you know I did talk about growing up in that household of three generations. You know, so because we lived with our originally our grandma lived with us as well, our nana, my mum and dad, and my big sisters who were a massive influence musically to me, Margaret and Kathleen. 
And, you know, the, so the, the record player was a cross between Doris Day, who I still adore, Elvis Presley, the Rolling Stones, mm. the Supremes. I mean, uh, Glenn Miller. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I still have that really eclectic taste in music. I really, really do. Yeah. And, and so when did you first start to think that, because I suppose acting came to you first of all, wasn't it? It, it wasn't really, it wasn't, you, you didn't end up in a band. The first thing you did was end up as an actor. Is that right, Claire? Well, actually, the summer I left school, um, well, I was in the band and when I first met Bill Forsyth. Oh, were you? Right. Okay, yeah. so we need to work out how that happened. So the yeah. summer I left school, I made Gregory's Girl and I got signed to Epic Records. And I still remember my mum one day shouting me down the stairs and she said, um, Claire, you know, Simon's on the phone for you. So I came downstairs. Simon was our A&R guy at the time. And he said, the press people have just told me that you're in a BAFTA-nominated film, Gregory's Girl. And I went, uh-huh. And he went, we're wondering why you've never mentioned this to us before. <laughs> and, you know, wow. It was such a different time, though, because, you know, like, the whole market because everyone was in BAFTA nominated films back <laughs> well, then, the, you know but the thing is a whole marketing team would be over like a rash yeah, in yeah. that situation whereas I hadn't really I'd never mentioned to the record label that I'd made a film <laughs> and you know it was it was a different time so of course then everyone got on board with that and I ended up you know traveling the world promoting film and the band so let's, let's do it let's do it so how, yeah, how's, how's this working yeah this is what I'm trying to uh -huh. Where did, the, Gary's trying to where get did the band, where did you meet these guys? Oh, right. Okay. So, well, Jerry McElhone was my sister Katie's boyfriend at mm. the time. And the boys at the time, it was Johnny, Tinny, Titch, Caesar, And they had a band. But Maybe you didn't call the band that. <laughs> yeah. Johnny, Titch, Titch, Caesar, and Beaky and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Claire. And... Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they, they, none, they were all kind of didn't, doesn't wanted to be the singer of the band. So they thought, and they were massive Susie fans. So they liked the idea of having this girl to sing in the band. And at first I think they wanted Katie to do it. And Kathleen was like, no, um, I'm no way, but actually I know somebody who might do it, <laughs> Claire. <laughs> so I turned up at Kermunnock Village Hall to a rehearsal and just stood there awkwardly um, for about two hours and just persevered, you know, just... And then I remember Johnny saying to me, you know, Claire, if you're going to be in the band, you're going to have to help write the songs. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I am no songwriter. I'm a lead singer. And actually, what a gift he gave me because he basically said, well, you can't stay in the band if you're not going to write. So... I had never written a song before. I mean, I, I didn't know if I could write a song. I didn't, you know, it seemed like the most sophisticated leap forward, you know? And that was just so bizarre. It really was. What was so when you turn up on that first day, uh -huh. what, what is the music then? Because so, wasn't the Susie and the Banshees, it was yeah. a unifying thing, wasn't it? Everyone's very much into Susie and the Banshees. Well, also, Guy, the thing is, and it was no disrespect to the boys, but I think literally they started the band at the point they started learning their instruments. Yeah, 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 that's not uncommon. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the so there it was just like a crazy jangle sound, which I mean that was not uncommon either at the time. It was just like this kind of weird cacophony, I guess, that I used to sing along to. And bit by bit, you know, I just became more I mean, I actually I just I just discovered that I love doing it. But actually I've got something to show you. Oh, what is that? A little synthesizer of some kind. It's a Casio. Casio. That's an old. Ca is it a Casio yeah. or is it a Yamaha? It's a Casio. But who gave me this? Oh. Gary. <laughs> oh wow! Did I really? I forgot. Uh, for our listeners, he's crying. <laughs> um. Oh, that's right. I do remember it. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a funny I gift. Have, I still have it. Kept it. You know, kept I just um, yeah. So there you go. What were you trying to say, Gary? You need to practice? I mean, what? <laughs> you need to get your shit together, Dogan. Uh, what is it? What is it? It's a Casio. What is it? Uh, do you know what it is? You don't know. I have no idea. But it, it's pretty, though. What, what are you asking for? The serial number? You, I mean, what? Take a picture. It'll be, obviously, it probably had... Does it still work? Because I have one of those, and it just forgot what it was. Yeah. If you know what I mean. It just lost all its memory. Does it have... It's got... Has it got... Doom, 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 uh, it's doom, got all doom, of that. I it. would switch it on, but yeah. the batteries run out. Of course it has. Yeah, just yeah, yeah it, long oh, time ago. Wait, yeah, in 1983. <laughs> Zoom. Hang on, it's going... Ah, 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 ah. Ah, very good. Oh, God. No, um, that's wonderful. I can't believe you still got that. Yeah. Um, so, so... I suppose, I mean, we've listened to the John Peel uh, mm -hmm. session. Was that, was your sound at that point close to that? Or is that by then you'd polished it and you'd gone out and you'd done gigs? And how did mm -hmm. John Peel's, your relationship with John come about? It was before you yeah. had a record contract. Well, you, yeah, was this you sending cassettes? Was what... Yeah, we sent demo tapes. Well, the first demo tape we sent was to the Susie and the Banshees fan club, to Billy Chainsaw. And said we hear that Susie is coming to Scotland on tour and we wondered if we could support her. I mean that's the way we thought it worked. You know, we really believe that's how the music business worked. And by some sheer miracle, Billy Chainsaw called us and said, I've played the demo to Susie. She says you can su support her on tour. Right, and we're so like, yeah well great. thank you very much. We'll see you at Tiffany's Nedborough and the you know, that's wow. how it started. And then... And did you have to... Because there used to be a thing with a band, I would have thought, as, as big as Susie, in that a record company would be paying for a band to support her. Yeah, no, we I'm did. I'm presuming no. you didn't. Well, did we, you get paid? Well, we didn't have a label at the time, and I do think we got paid. Yeah. We probably got about 50 quid. And, what what um, Susie had out at that time is that she wasn't even up to Hong Kong Garden, was she then, or was she maybe? She was, yeah. yeah, yeah she yeah, was yeah. up to Hong Kong Garden at that. Kaleidoscope, point. kaleidoscope. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there was this thing called Leeds Futurama. I don't think Spandau played that actually, but Leeds Futurama, which had Echo and the Bunnymen, The Simple Minds magazine, Susie and the Banshees. I mean, just like. A, an amazing right. lineup, you what know, lineup. and yeah. uh, you too, probably as well. Who we Hang on, I think John McGeoch was in magazine, but was he also in Susie at the same time? He may have been. No, no. Um, he wasn't in. He was. Because he was on the Kaleidoscope tour, yeah. wasn't he? Definitely. Yeah. He'd just taken over. I can't remember about John now, but yeah, it was. So, but John Peel was there, 
um, for Radio One. And we were just determined that he would see us and um, he, he loved the band and then we got the Peel session. But, you know, we had these little goals, you know, we started off thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to open for Susie and the Banshees? And that happened. Wouldn't it be great if John Peel liked us and we got a Peel session? And that happened. You know, I mean, was I, this written down? Was this like, but was oh, it like an actual it, list? Of, I mean, it's things that we talked about. We just, it, there were like stepping stones and the kind of the ultimate goal was to get on top of the pops, really. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. that was the extent of it at that yeah. point. But, uh, but, Same. But yeah, I mean, you, you'd say this in a sort of whimsical way, oh, you know, all these things, but, but, it's, but, it's, but it's true, you know, set goals. Set goals, kids. You know, that's yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, it ha- it happened to a lot of. We we were very similar. You know, we you know they they were those. You just had those one step goals, didn't you? We never. Yeah. You never think of world domination. You're just thinking, oh, I want to be on top of the pops. Yeah. You know, I want to get a record contract. And uh, well, with us, for us London boys, wasn't it? It was I want to play the Hope and Anchor. And yeah. I want to play the Marquee, and yeah. then I want to play the Music Machine. You know. But you had yeah. a really, you had a really good manager. I mean, you had this guy. I mean, did you have him right from the beginning, Jerry? Yeah. So yeah. J- J- Jerry's Johnny's brother. Yeah. Their mother, I don't know her name. You can remind me. Helen. She was a, Helen was. I, I saw her first speech in the House of Commons. Uh, I think her, his. I make. Let me get this right. The far. The, their dad was a Labour MP, right? Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Frank and Frank died. That's and right. She was voted in as the new MP. Yeah. Um, in Glasgow, I guess. Yes, Glasgow. Yeah. And then, and then Jerry took me to, and I think we all went to the yeah. to the House of Commons to watch her give her a uh, maiden this? speech. Eighty one. <laughs> wow. I mean, but I'm trying to say that Jerry had a gr- that, and Johnny had this incredible background, didn't they? They did, and I think that gave them this massive vision as well. You know, where anything seemed possible. You know, and I, I mean, I think that was the the strength of what was happening at the time around us, that these two very determined people, you know, I mean, I do talk about stepping stones, but we did have a certain amount of ambition that was slightly based on the arrogance of youth to a certain extent, but that is such a useful tool to mm-hmm. actually go, it is possible. You know, and I know that might sound a bit cliched now, but I think what we've lost a little bit in society in general is is aspiration because well i mean that's a whole other podcast really isn't it but i do think you know and as you said guy it's just about going set targets you know because you know it is possible and yeah we would sometimes go to the house of commons for our tea some nights and all of that but you know we didn't view this as being a massive big deal to a certain extent it was just part of the wallpaper that was going on around us in life, you know, yeah, yeah. so that the boys... Could, what, yeah, know. like being in a BAFTA-nominated <laughs> movie. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, but, I look but, back on it all now and I'm like, what? But I do think that Jer- quite... Jerry McElhone was was a force of nature and still is. I bumped yeah. into him in a yeah. London gym, in the changing room of London gym, not that long ago. We, and uh, he, he spoke to me like he... Well, he sort of, you know how he speaks in, in a way mm. that he's semi-ignoring you. And uh, in, in a way that he'd only just, I'd only just seen him the week before, but I think it had been decades, mm. you know, and, and he, his, his dry wit was always, I found him an inspiration, uh, yes. Jer- Jerry. And I think you all did. And he lifted you in this idea that he, he helped you to believe that you could be stars. Yes. I mean, I, I think 
definitely. I mean, I I think that we, you know, I mean, it's hard to look back on it all now and fully figure out the dynamics. I mean, it just is. But there was something, you know, I think it's like a lot of bands. It's, 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 it's kind of, you're not overanalyzing it at the time, I suppose, is the thing. You're just doing it. I think what's interesting with what you're saying and your aspirational and your thing about it is that what's interesting is listening to your music now say compared to a lot of the you know post-punk bands at the time is how much positivity there is in it mm. is that you were kind of on and up rather than on a down which is kind of what everyone else was to be honest well i, I think that there, there's a little bit of um contradiction going on in our songs to a certain extent because Mm-mm. i quite like the idea of making them sound really cheery with a slightly dark undercurrent going on. Mm. And quite often people now talk to me about, you know, how much our songs are about escaping. And they really well, I, I could be happy, right? So yeah. it, you think, oh, this is wonderful. Yes, she wants to go traveling, you know, that's <laughs> a skydive. But actually, she's really running away from I'm this bloke. Away. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah. And did you have a happy birthday back at that initial time when you did the John Peel tapes? Well, I think I remember it this way, and I think everyone. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm lying, setting myself up for. But I seem to remember that I could be happy and happy birthday were the same song at one point. You know yes. how it songs could be about four different songs, like progressive rock or something. <laughs> so like you had about hey, she three, mentioned it. three songs God, in one God's song. God's sake, oh, there's the box ticked. <laughs> so so I, I, and I think it might have been Martin Russian who said to us, ah. that's two songs in one song. And we'd already recorded, and I would love to hear this. We'd recorded Happy Birthday, I could be happy stroke with Steve Severin as happy birthday that never ended up in the album because we ended up creating two songs. Does that make sense? Yeah, because um, Martin yeah. Russian produced only that song on that first album, didn't he? Where Steve Severin did all the other songs. Yes, that? that's right. Well, I, how did that come? And was this from supporting Susie and the Banshees, by the way, yes. that you got Steve Severin? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, I mean, it really, it really was just kind of. You know, it's quite mad. Like, yeah, falling into <clears throat> place. Your it? credibility was massive. I mean, John Peel was raving about you, you know. I think at one point he says, on the second session you did, uh, and now I'm back in the cold shower with altered images or something. I don't know what he meant by that, that maybe your music had a darkness that was, it wasn't obvious, com- obviously commercial. Yeah, I mean, having John Peel's support, having <coughs> Susie's support as well, mm. I mean, it just... You know, but you know, the one thing that I'd like to say, and I think that I was, I've been a little bit shy about that in recent years, because I've had to really think about it at this point in my life. I look back on it and I think, do you know what? We were actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. And those pill tapes yeah. say it, you know. They, they, you know, there's... and sometimes we, I think we got slightly d- dismissed as being a bit frivolous about this, about that. And actually, I think I think maybe there was times we lost our way, but we started from a really great place, and we were very young, and we started experimenting. And I'm really glad that we did, because to just stay in one 
sort of particular um, mood of music when you're that age, you've got to just reach out in different directions and find out who you are. And we did that very publicly. And I think sometimes that backfired on us. But I don't regret any of it. You know, I think good for us. We really tried something, you know. I really love that first album. I just, I mean, it's like, it's like sometimes it's like I'm having an out of body experience. I'm not listening to it thinking I'm listening to me necessarily and the boys. I'm listening to it slightly more objectively now. And I think, God, it's such a great post punk album. You know? I totally. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But how did you end up with this one track by Martin Russian? Yeah, I think the thing is... Uh, the record label Epic didn't hear a hit on it, but we also wanted as many people to hear our music as possible. You know, we did want to expand our audience. Get on top of the We box. really, really did, yeah. So um, they brought Martin Russian in and we spent some time in our rehearsal studio with mm-hmm. Martin and he restructured, or we all restructured with him, the happy birthday into the song that it became. And... At the last minute, put that version on the album, the, the Happy Birthday album. Steve, yeah. did he have his studio at that point? Was it a yeah. genetic? Yes, right, yeah. genetic, yeah. And had he done Dare with Human League? Before? Yes, he had. Yeah, okay. he had. And we so, loved that album. Actually, I mean, we were, we really wanted to work with Martin because we saw what had happened to the Human League, who had gone from being this kind of post-punk, very different you know, being yeah. boiled is still one of my favourite songs. Absolutely. You know, massive Human League fan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you want to, when you want to go global, <laughs> you know, and we did. We were unashamedly like, let's yeah. let's take on the world. <laughs> it didn't quite pan out well, that don't, way. Don't, don't you want, want me, baby? It was number one in America at that time. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. League, I remember really... that was the thing that was uh, was extraordinary for anyone. Here wasn't yeah. it because the idea that anything that we did, that anything that belonged to you know that generation would be number one. number one in America was just you know yeah old hairy people. But they were the first to break. <laughs> yeah. they, were the, they were the they were the first they were the first British band to break through in that yeah. second wave of you know British whatever you call it. Yeah, you know British <laughs> success. Sec- it was second British yeah. British invasion. That's I think the they word, call yeah. it, don't they? Invasion, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I still have this massive Human League link because um, I I play with them quite a lot and uh, we share the same manager, Simon Watson. So, um, yeah, so I feel like my life is... It's kind of gone full circle in so many different ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, But you had this track, didn't you, early on, called Dead Pop Stars, but it it kind of backfired a bit, didn't it, because of John Lennon? Yeah. It's funny how... 
I mean, timing is everything. And, you know, we release Dead Pop Stars. And it's actually, when I play that song live, everyone goes mental. They absolutely love it, you know. It's extraordinary to me the way people respond to it, you know. Um, and it's great fun to say. But it, it wasn't about John Lennon, was it? It was obviously about no. the old school no, dinosaurs. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, you know, there was just, I just remembered the point. They said, we're going to pull it as your single because it just seems like really the wrong timing for this song to come out. And, I mean, we never talked about it. You know, I mean, we were a young band. It was our first single. And we were super excited about it. And then the record label so was like, nah, it's not going to happen. And we were like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was, it was was a bit of an odd one. Did you keep it in the set? Yes, we always did. Yeah, we did. Because the, the, the fans, the people against us loved it. And yeah, no, they, they still do. It's... So by now you'd done Gregory's Girl. How did that yeah. happen? Because this is, this is uh, yeah. Bill Forsyth, you know, he'd had yeah. this big movie before i've forgotten the name of it now what was the movie before uh gregory's girl that he local hero was local hero that, no, local local hero was after. After. so he had that sinking feeling was... that sinking feeling that sinking feeling yeah, that, that sinking feeling and um at the time i was still at school and i worked in a restaurant called the spaghetti factory in glasgow and bill came in one night um with another director and i served them and on the way out the other director um, Mike Radcliffe, I think it was, said, Bill's making a film in the summer and he thinks she'd be really great in it. And I was like, yeah, right. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he said, could you give us your phone number? I was like, no, not going to happen. Um, <laughs> no, because because yeah. the, Virgin, the Virgin Mary was looking. Right? <laughs> yeah, the Virgin Mary was watching. <laughs> so I quite like refused and they, they left baffled by me, I think. And um, Sandra Payne, the manager of the restaurant, went, you know, Bill really is a filmmaker and, you know, I think you should give him your number. And I was still unconvinced. But anyway, eventually Sandra was like, Claire, you need to do this. So, you know, I was terrified I was going to go up to his flat and he was going to be there in his pants with a camcorder, you know. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, that didn't happen. And, you know, Bill remains today somebody who I feel so attached to because, you know, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, you know. And mm. and I, although I was in the school drama group and I was in the Scottish theatre, and I really, I mean, it is... Okay, so this isn't a complete standing no, it's start. It's not, then. but the thing is, I thought I would actually really like to be a film star and a pop star. Because a lot of young people have that kind of dream. And then it happened to me the summer I left school. Both of it. Yeah. It was just, it kind of blew my mind. Not at the time, but it caught up with me. And I was like, talk about imposter syndrome. I was like, what on earth is this about? Yeah. You know, I remember being in in Beverly Hills. I was meeting with a whole bunch of different producers and I just, I was like, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> that that was, self-doubt creeped in. And it's, but I think it's, that was part of your charm as well, though, Claire, because you were, you were such a, you had your feet on the ground. You're such an honest, you know, we all feel these insecurities about who we are. You know, we're all, most of us are introverts and an extrovert's job, you know, and, um, and there was an honesty about, about you at that time that, you know, also 
came across as being very natural on, on TV and helped to make you a pop star, funnily enough. You know, now you've got to wear, you know, leotard and you've got to look like you, you're, you're an athletic alien who's, you know. But, um, but in those days, there was something much more real about who, who, you were try, who, who you were on stage. And this is something that you noticed, Gary, wasn't it, at Top of the Pops? <laughs> oh, well, I got to meet these guys and I absolutely yeah. fell in love with so all what, of what, them. So what period, what, exactly when was this then? When did we meet Claire? Sorry, because you know, we're talking about an artistic journey leading to well, one well, of the well, great well, songs. Well, when, when did we meet Claire? Oh, it must have been, yeah, the yeah. green room at Top of the Pops. And yeah. I think that Spandau Valley and Altered Images were a sort of unlikely pairing as a friendship group. But yet there was something about us that felt really familiar and similar. Yeah. Just a bunch of kids, basically, working, with working a dream. Class. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was I, that. And, and I, I, I sort of started to go up and become fr to Glasgow and become friendly a lot with, with, with Claire and the boys. And I met where well, there was a bunch of things that went on because I just finished my album, uh, the second album, Diamond. I'd done chart number one. And I remember thinking, sitting in a car with all of you guys and putting some of that album on and thinking, I don't know where I'm going here. This doesn't sound like my music anymore. I don't, I don't know whether I'm really happy with some of this. And Jerry sort of taking it off and putting on Al Green and Marvin Gaye and soul music. And I thought, wow, I haven't listened to this for so long. And this is much more what I'd like to be doing, you know? Mm. So there was definitely, I remember a moment in a car being inspired by, by what was being played yeah. and by mm -hmm. being slightly disappointed by what I'd done. But the, but the great person that I met at that point was David mm -hmm. Band. David Band, yeah. And David Band, you know, we have to have a David Band moment. It was one of the nicest, most wonderful, creative people I've ever met in my life. Mm. And I agree, because, yeah, because uh, um, I never knew this, because uh, David was a good friend of mine, Claire. Um, oh, wait. I saw him, at, saw him in Melbourne right yeah. near the end. Um, yeah. But so I didn't know he, so th explain how he came into this. How he came Gary. into your life, really. No, how he came into how, he, how yeah. so he came from the, well, he, Altered he, Images camp. Yeah, he was already your designer, wasn't he, of your sleeves? Yeah. How yeah. did you meet him, Claire? Well, I he was at Glasgow Art School and yeah. he used to work in the Rock Garden, I think, alongside Katie. And I would, I mean, I was such a chancer. I mean, I was sneaking in. Well, Margaret, my big sisters were opening fire escapes for me here, there and everywhere to let me in. <laughs> You know, so they were really great on that level. And I met David and I just really, I loved David because he instantly sort of took the mickey out of me, you know, and there was something really funny about that. And um, he was at art school and occasionally I would turn up in my school uniform to see him at art school and he'd be like, I can't believe she's doing this to me sort of thing. <laughs> the school girl yeah. turning up. But we became really good friends and it's so it's quite difficult for me to yeah talk. yeah 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 oh, okay. so, so i just want to mention um what i think about david and i think he 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 invented a style which is kind of a jazz 50s style which he um i think influenced a lot of the graphics that we see in the 80s um Definitely. he 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 did the covers for altered images but he turned them into artwork cuz i have them still with me i have these four wonderful prints of album sleeves that he did, of record sleeves that he did for you, which yeah. you, which you then sold as prints, didn't you? Yeah. 
and, and all signed by him. And and also he worked with Aztec Camera. Yes. And there was a definite look that he had that that I think was was you know, we all we all suddenly went, Wow, that's the that's the way to go and lots of people copied him. I then said, Well, when I did the when after I did the true album, there was only one person I wanted to use. And by now David was my best friend. We used to love climbing mountains together. Yes. And uh, I remember. and uh, and I remember being up in Wales with him and he uh, climbing Snowdonia and he he, we were talking about this album that I was had just finished, and he just drew on a piece of paper in front of me what became the 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 album cover for the for the true album, and he went, "What about something like this? This is what I mean. This guy with a jazz hat on, and you know, and a dove, and I'm, yeah, you know, it's, it was, and um, I know it's iconic. Talk. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's really iconic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, I have to say this right." There were three guys who were all totally in love with you, Claire. There was me, there was David Band, and, and there was uh, John um, uh, from Gregory's Girl, right? So, uh, and we were all of, we all thought you were the greatest person we'd ever met, right? And, uh, and, and <laughs> so, so, so there was lots of times when the three of us were, were pop star, movie star, everyone falling at your feet. Oh my, my God. You know, and it says so much about your strength of character, Claire, that in theory, you should actually have become the most unbearable person in the world. <laughs> well, I've forgotten, actually, I've forgotten I, I, John's name. I'm feeling awful now. Um, it's, it's, John Gordon. John Gordon, John Gordon Sinclair. Sinclair. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Gordy. Gordy. He's actually Gordy. now married to a very good friend of mine. So, oh, that, yeah. So, send him my love. I will do. I will do. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I don't, it's, I mean, how do you expect me to say? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I'm, just... I'm giving this all, saying that, that I found you. it, I found it a very inspiring time. I mentioned yeah. being in that car and listening to that music. I certainly went back home to, to London and found myself writing songs that were more soulful, more, more inspired by those artists that you and, and you guys were playing to me. And, um, uh, you know, that it, it did help to change my life as well. Well, and for all of us, sorry, because we got true. <laughs> you know, come on. Uh, well. Another contribution to, to culture there, Claire. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, no, I feel... Just a final note before we get off, I just want to say one little thing. This is one of my tr most treasured old photos. I don't know why it always turns uh -huh. up. I still have it, which is that David Band used to live around the corner uh -huh. from my mum in Borough yeah. and I once went round to see him when he was ill in bed just to take him Lemsip <laughs> and I've got this lovely picture of him sitting up in bed in his dressing gown have you oh, oh I'd, lo yeah. I'd love to oh. see that can you send me that okay. yeah. but, <laughs> do you know isn't it amazing how connected we are you know isn't yeah. that there's a I think and also I just think you gravitate towards like-minded people in life you just do I mean every so often you get it a bit wrong but for the most you just you find your tribe, really, don't you? And I um, I feel so, so lucky, you know, that I have the people in my life that I do. I remember going up to, to Martin Rushant's studio with you guys and watching mm -hmm. you do some Pinky Blue, the album, yeah. some stuff for that, and being so impressed with Martin Rushant. I mean, he was a really, you know, he was very much ahead of his time as a producer. You know, he was, he was, he was, he had all of the electronic latest gear, didn't he? I mean, yeah. Clavier, Clavier and... And he was he was kind of pushing you. Well, I guess he got that a lot off of Human League as well. But yeah. um, he he was taken away rather too soon as well, Martin. Yeah, yeah really sad. Um, 
And I, I loved working with Martin. I really did because there's something about certain people that just really give you, you know, that little confidence boost that you need as a, a lead singer. Um, I, I mean, for years I used to, you know, as I say, think that it was some kind of accident that happened, but I love being a lead singer. And I think I can look back now at people like Martin Russian and Mike Chapman in particular, who both had this incredible belief in my ability, you know, and and that was amazing. They they made and they did challenge me. That's what was quite interesting about it. But I do remember Gary, you turning up at Basing Street when we were with Mike Chapman at some point. And I, I told you I was my voice was a bit tired and you went out and you got me a bottle of port. Did I? <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and you went, This is really great for singing. Gargling, because you can gargle with it. Right? Yeah, you meant, you meant yeah. yeah. I didn't mean you to drink it all. <laughs> <Claire. laughs> yeah, because yeah, I know Tony I, Hadley Tony Hadley used to gargle port. He still does before he uh, goes on to do it. Yeah, no, show, yeah. but I still occasionally do it as well. And I always think Yeah, of you. David Gilmore and I used to do it for the encore at Pink Floyd shows, but but it did unfortunately go from gargling to just like drinking an enormous glass of port. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was that was a great album for you as well, Pinky Blue, wasn't it? I mean, and I could be happy, wasn't it? You know, I mean, huge. Love like be happy. I, I really, it's a song that I just, I really still every time I sing it, I connect with it in a way that is really, really powerful. And um, yeah, but you know, you have no idea when you're writing these songs. The kind of I had no idea that forty years on, I'd be singing these songs. If yeah. somebody had told me that, I'd be like. Well, that's just fucking weird, you know. Yeah. But let's it's make it. Not. Let's make. Let's make it more. You know, you would never get it made because if you knew that, you'd be sitting there trying to make this, you know, great piece of art, <laughs> thinking how will I, how will, how will my sixty-year-old self sing this, you know? Yeah. But 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 I, I think that's the that's the beauty of, of of what it is. The video is really interesting. I was wondering. I love the video, but it looks like all of David Band's artwork. Yes, playing yeah. a David Band guitar and a David Band. Yeah. Is it, did he do that? Yeah, he did. It was. I think it was Tim Pope's idea who directed it. He was an is an amazing video director still, but um, it was very much his idea. All of that, and you know, I yeah, it's crazy the video, and I love the big lips and everything. That's a funny. It's really really funny. Oh, it's fantastic. How did Stephen come into the band? Stephen Laroni. I mean, because I know that Jim and Titch left. Why did they leave? Well, they, well they, they had a classic sort of fallout, the boys, you know, and which was really difficult and really stressful, but it happens. You know, I think that, um, yeah, it was tricky. I mean, I, th I think the literally it was at the end of a tour and they, they both decided that they'd kind of had enough. The thing about being in a band, a lot of it is really great fun until it's not. And I think yeah, when you get yeah. that sense that you're not enjoying anymore it's hard to escape that feeling and I can't speak for Jim and Titch but they decided they just didn't want to do it anymore and left and um, I went on holiday and when I got back from holiday Jerry said to me I found this great guy he's been he's in other bands in Glasgow he's a really great musician and his name's Stephen Laroni and 
I'm going to take you up to his house to meet him and all of this. And I went up to meet him. And I remember the first thing, just about the first thing Stephen said to me was, I think your voice would really improve with singing lessons. And I was like, oh, excuse me, you're just about to join my band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually, I did. I then started training with um, Scottish opera and loved it. You know, so he yeah. was annoyingly right about it, and it really helped me. It really it's funny. Sliding doors, isn't it? If Jim and Titch hadn't have left, ah, I you know. know, you wouldn't have met your That's husband. Funny, but with most, but with most of your career path, it, it should, the actual more logical progression is that you went for these singing lessons and then sort of ended up <laughs> sort of becoming the great diva, starring in Carmen. <laughs> and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, that's, greatest opera singer that Scotland's ever produced. But do you know what? For a nanosecond, I really thought about it. Uh, yeah, because you, you know, because uh, because I was training with them and I loved it. You know, I really did. And yeah, I still had kind of a notion to do some opera. <laughs> it's weird. How, how did you get, end up with two producers on the next album? Because you got Visconti, didn't you? Mm. Or, yes. Or, on on bike, but but also. Mike Chapman, Mike mm. Chapman being from Chinny Chap, Nicky Chin's partner, who yeah. wrote, you know, Ballroom Blitz and, and all of those. Did... Also, funnily enough, because just before we came up, my last bit of research, I was watching, looking at the video for Don't Talk To Me About Love yeah. and the look of it and the sound of it, I sort of, and I, I didn't realise Mike Chapman was involved. So I thought, oh my God, this is their heart of glass. Yeah, absolutely. And it's same uh -huh. right same producer yeah. same person yeah yeah, same um, yeah Mike well, we were massive Blondie fans we really were so I, I think I mean I think it's amazing that we got these two absolutely incredible producers of the moment at the time to agree to do half the album each but for the life of me I can't remember how we decided who would do what songs I do know the first song that we did with Mike was uh, love to stay, and uh, and eventually we flew to um, Los Angeles to work with them in Sunset Studios, and we'd bought a sequencer, a Roland something okay. eight hundred eight. I don't I can't remember exactly which one mm. it was, and because we, we really thought that's what Mike had used on Heart of Glass, and we turned up with it, and he'd never seen one before. He was like. <laughs> Kind of thing. It's not the one I and, bought you, is it? Yeah. And you said that Blondie's actually, they played that live, that kind of, you know, that little, they played it live, so they haven't wow. used the sequencer. So Mike Chapman used the sequencer with us for the first time. And yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, Shalimar were in the studio next door. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Clem, Clem Burke came down to say hello to us and Steve Jones from Pistols. I mean... It was hilarious because also we were all under 21, so we couldn't drink and we couldn't drive. So we were like these lost <laughs> souls wandering about Los Angeles. And we oh. stayed at the Sunset Marquee, which was a total scene. Yeah. And we would sneak drinks into the bar because nobody would serve us. And I mean, at this point, we were doing pretty well. Did you, get, did you get fake IDs? <laughs> fake IDs. <laughs> Yeah, and then we did a massive tour of the States, which went really well. It was great. And, and then the Tony Visconti thing, you know, I think that it's, it's interesting because I think that Bring Me Closer is a great track. I like, um, 
you know, it's I've revisited these songs because I did a, a sort of one-off performance of Bite recently, and I and I literally hadn't listened to uh, most of the songs in Bite in years. Although I could do four of them, say I do "Don't Touch My Bit Love," "Bring Me Closer," "Love to Stay," and "Change of Heart," but the other four I hadn't sung in years, and it was so emotional going back to them. It was crazy emotional it really took me back to a time and place and it made me kind of really recognize how audiences feel when they hear these these songs from their past and their youth and and that's what really struck me about it we're lucky really because we do get to see ourselves as the young version uh that was full of ambition and and hope and and successful we get to see ourselves a lot like that, don't we, in this business? And that can work, I think, in a, for me, I have a sense of rejuvenation when I see that chap. He still lives inside me. You know, he's still there. I still owe him a favour, you know, because I, I, he, he did so well for me. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I think... Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of... And I, I suppose for me as well, it's a little bit about reclaiming it in a in a, a slightly more positive way because like a lot of bands altered images the first time around we, it didn't end well you know it really didn't and there's no point pretending about that and then for me i've never really been able to escape the link to altered images you know i mean there's times you know when i say if somebody had told my 23 year old self that i'd be still singing these songs you know almost 40 years on I would have thought it was insane but it's never let me go it's they just people won't let me move on from it you know and eventually I had to really embrace that again mm. and instead of being frightened of it and I look back at my younger self and sometimes I get a bit upset at how vulnerable I was because I think I really was vulnerable and I kind of want to go you're all right Claire yeah <laughs> oh. But it's more, but but because you went off, went on and did wonderful other yeah. things, lots of act, all sorts of things. So it it's not like you can't get away from them. Yes. It's the thing you're you're coming back to something, which also for all of us, we all lo- uh-huh. have now lived. You know, I'm not, not you know we're not finished, but what I'm saying we've you've we've lived our lives, and it's nice to go back and look at those that younger person. Yeah, yeah. And f- I'm talking about <laughs> the audience yeah. as well. So it's not a matter of being stuck with something. It's not a thing of not moving on. It's just, it's because we're in a reappraisal. Yeah, well, yeah but, but, but also, you know, of, you know, of the, of the show. You know, these, the, being a, and, and realising that what you did reverberated down the years, you know, whether it was even, yeah. you know, helping me to move yeah. on in a different direction creatively or getting other, inspiring other artists to do their thing. Yes. Know. I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is I recognised it as it being actually a really positive thing. As opposed yeah. to something that I was slightly afraid of, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, I think it was during. I think all of us had kind of sort of slight epiphanies during the lockdown period. The thing I miss the most is singing in front of a an audience. Mm. That actually took me by surprise. But the thing I missed would drove Stephen and Ellie absolutely yeah. mad. But I think that's how writing again came about you know doing the mascara speech thing came about because i went gosh this really is a big part of who i am and yet i'd always felt slightly 
yeah, scared of it. Did, did, it, did, it, did it help you do it going, because you did a tour, didn't you, where you called, finally called yourself Altered Images again with Midjur, because Midge is such a yeah. lovely guy, isn't it? Oh, did, yeah. did he give you? Did he give you good advice? <laughs> I mean, did he? was that a helpful tour for you? He bought us cakes every day. <laughs> and yeah no he was I mean he's an inspiration which he really really is and, and it's just that thing also of growing up in Glasgow and seeing people that you really identify with on shows like Top of the Pops and Old Gravy Whistle Test and just feeling that maybe there's a chance you could be part of that you know and Mitch played a role in that for me as well just thinking he's from Glasgow you know and all of this but because there was a glasgow thing wasn't there which we never yeah. spoke about earlier the sort of postcard type yes. bands yes or is that orange juice yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was a yeah. sort of sort of I, I don't this is a thing this is a genre and i didn't want to use the word really but twee twee pop you know which which they call it which but there was a there was a sense of humor about yeah. about those Scottish bands, the Bluebells. We haven't mentioned Bobby Bluebell. Yeah. Deserve, we do, he deserves a mention as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, as I say, he he co-wrote a couple of the tracks on oh, the Scarra yeah. Street album. Yeah. So I still see Robert. And um, can you be? And you probably have the dark. Can I work with Robert yeah. a lot on a TV series in the nineties? And I have never ever been able to understand a single word he <laughs> says. <laughs> Ever. Well, I have known Robert. <laughs> so I... you have the advantage of being Scottish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I, I, I used to play with Robert when I was a wee girl because he was. We lived in sort of the same neighbourhood, so he was part of a group of us that you know um, used to play together. He was the doctor, I was the patient. But, uh, right, okay, but I'm sure. <laughs> Moving swiftly I'm sure along, that yeah. that genre, though, that genre it, was a big influence on the Smiths, say, you know, and the jangle pop of, yeah. of what Johnny does. I mean, the thing is, um, quite often I'm sitting in a kind of, you know, quite trendy bar somewhere, and I'll hear a track, and it'll really, I'll think, right, who's that then? And I'll list a, num- a bunch of people from back then, you know, like. And then I'll go, I'll, I'll Shazam it, and it'll be at some brand new band. So I think it, we're, there's a real influence to still to this day from that kind of sound that sort of came from Glasgow, and it really genuinely did. You know, it wasn't, Mm-mm. it was, you know, that sort of jingly jangly pop. When, but when you did, it had an edge to it. I absolutely. really do think it did. When you did Mascara Streaks just recently with Stephen, was uh-huh. that on your mind that we have to try and? be a part of that still or was this something where you could reinvent yourself totally with some new kind of pop i really do think timing is everything and i hadn't been read people kept on saying to me you need to do some new friend you know i've written over the years for other people and all the rest of it but suddenly i went i really want to do an altered images album i want to do what i think we would be now and I think I did achieve that. I achieved it because I had great support and help around me from very clever people. Um, but I really thought it, it was, um, I, I don't want to sound like an absolute tosser, but it was almost like an art project to me. You know, it was yeah. almost like, who would we be now? I really thought about that a lot. And how would I, how would this have evolved? And I really like the way it, it panned out. And you know, um, and then once I started writing, I just couldn't stop. I just, it's great. And I'm so lucky that Bernard Butler lives around the corner and, 
you know, and Robert and I have always stayed really good friends. So they had a real sense and understanding of what I was trying to achieve with it. The Bernard connection makes total sense. There he is with his 335, 355 guitar, you know, playing a kind, you know, coming, you know, you would have been an inspiration, I'm sure. Well, I mean, the whole thing seemed, for me, was a bit of a homage to who altered images were. And also, I... I get quite a lot and I was just before lockdown doing a lot of shows and you know not like in a sort of arena type scale but doing really really well and I just thought I have to give something back to these people that have so loyally come to see me and also this kind of new group of young people that just love the 80s I mean the whole 80s thing is it's like, you know, the revival has lasted longer than the, the decade. <laughs> and I think it's more than that. It's not just about nostalgia. It's so much more complicated than that. And I don't know quite how to describe it, but I just suddenly really got this idea into my head that I really wanted to put myself right in a moment with some songs again that might people could sort of really resonate with. And I don't know. I'm sounding like an idiot now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Are you doing more? Are you doing more? Yeah, I mean, I've got, an, I'm, I'm contracted to do another Altered Images album, which I will do. And I was quite keen to kind of like really get going with it. And then I thought, I just need to really think about what I want to do next with it. And so I've got a little bit of a sort of side project going on at the moment because I really love writing and doing things and being creative. And, um, you know, I don't know where it's going to go. It's it's something I'm working with Bernard on at the moment. Is it it written on a Casio? (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit more more classic than that. Even it's around a piano. So, but I don't know where it's going or what it'll be. Or I just, I just love, I, I love being creative, I suppose. Claire, thank you so much. I, I hope you have a really lovely new year. Oh, thank you. It's been amazing having you on. <laughs> I'm so chuffed to be asked. <laughs> oh, no. Your positivity and your vibe is, is an absolute inspiration, oh, as, is your, as is your work. Give, thank you. Give my love to Stephen. Yes. And, and I must go and have some tapas, Scottish tapas. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, please send my best to Stephen yes. and to Mr. Bluebell. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And have a beautiful Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And it'll be nice to bump into you in person at some it point. Would. <laughs> Love to your sisters, Claire. Oh, yeah. And to all your family, honestly. Oh, that was delightful. That, that was, was so really nice. delightful. Very yeah, I think I, I blushed at one point. Oh, no, it was sweet. And she was very, you know, it was. Um, uh, very emotional, the stuff about David. Very, it, was, yeah. it was really nice. It was a. a one of the right. more, it's more sort it's of a, heartwarming episodes. Well, well the Virgin had. Mary was watching. She was, you see. Makes all yeah. the difference. It does. If, at least we've got one listener. I did like my killing <laughs> joke. I thought my killing joke gag was very good. You know, the famous old poster that they had, which was a real photo of the Pope blessing the massed ranks of the SS. No. Yeah, it's a was real it? picture. Oh, from 1938 God. or something. I apologise to any Catholics that are listening. <laughs> Not Nazis, though. <laughs> Including the Virgin... No, not Nazis. They're not forgiven. <laughs> Including the Virgin Mary. We apologise to her as well. In well, we do every place. every morning, every night. We beat yeah. ourselves, don't we? Yeah. What are you doing in the new year? What's your new year going to be? What's your... What's New Year's Eve going to be for you, guys? You I, know I'd you. hate New Year's Eve. 
I always used to love New Zealand. I, for me, it always used to be just don't be in England. Just It's brilliant as long as you're anywhere but England. I don't like New Year's Eve. I don't like no. going to a party and just waiting for this kind of second to turn. I've, basically, the last few years, I've found I've been sort of literally waiting up for midnight too, so I can go too, to bed. I'm too exhausted. <laughs> yeah, where are you going to be? You're going to be so. I know you're going to be at Buckingham Palace or some undersea volcano bash <laughs> with Jeff no, Bezos. Or, no, I'm going to be getting to bed as early as I can. I don't do it either. Um, but but looking forward to the new year. More of this, right? More of this. And more. yeah, and all sorts. Actually, it's we're hopefully going up a gear next year, aren't we? With some yeah, all sorts of stuff going on. We are. We are. We are. We've got a nice thing coming up where we're doing the Quadrophenia special in February uh, where we're doing our live show um, and uh, sh- screening Quadrophenia and then talking to Frank Rodham and Phil Daniels. I mean, that's going to be an epic. I don't, you know, because it is... You're going to be full I'm, mod, aren't you? I'm going to be full mod, of course. I'm, I've already, you know, measuring myself up. It's, um, it's the... Yeah, I might drive my Lambretta up, especially for it. Interesting it point it. with that, that we're doing it at Battersea Power Station and the... Main photo on the inside of the epic Quadrophenia album book, you know, the, the photo book that comes with it, uh, Ethan Russell's amazing work, is that the picture that Pete actually wanted to be the cover, but is the first picture inside, is Jimmy riding his Lambretta with Battersea Power Station in the background, right? Double this iconic. Is, no, but the point being, this is 1973. This is four years before Animals by Pink Floyd. Yeah. So, in fact, if they put it on the cover, just think the Who would have owned Battersea rather than Pink Floyd. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so we look forward to that. And I don't know where you can buy tickets. Guy, guy um, Ben, our producer, are you there? Can you tell us where to buy tickets? Uh, so you go to Battersea, or you can either go and sign up to Rock on Tours at rockontours.com. All right. Or okay. you can go to, uh, there is a website, but basically Google Battersea Power Station Cinema. and then There you go. There you go. And you can come and see us, Phil Daniels, Frank Rodham and Quadrophenia, the entire... The greatest movie. youth culture movie ever made. Yep, yep, yep. And have we, who have we had on it? We've had someone on from that movie, haven't we? Toya! Toya, yes. Well said. Um, have a happy new year, everybody. Thank you for being Rock and Tours listeners. If you weren't there, we wouldn't be here. So happy thank new you. Year. Happy new happy year, Happy new year. Happy new year. Good night from me. And it's good night from there. Rock Hunters is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions, a Warner Music Group UK. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.